Today's podcast is brought to you by Gamefly.com. Sign up for a premium, free, 30-day, one-game-out trial specifically for Picture Lock listeners at GameFlyOffer.com slash PictureLock. It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington at 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews, all the back episodes, and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. Filmmakers, be sure to get your films into the DC Black Film Festival. We're now in the late deadline, but you just may have the movie or web series that we need to exhibit. So visit dcbff.org for more information. This weekend, the DC Web Fest hits Washington, DC, April 12th and 13th. I'm serving up some more of the officially selected entrants whose work you'll be able to see this year. I have Latasha James, host of the Freelance Friday podcast, Joey Fama, screenwriter of Townhouse of Doom, Crystal Correa, producer star of Crystal the Web Series, Darwin Dave, host of Dealing With My Grief podcast, and Kyle Getz, the co-creator and co-host of The Gayish podcast. Now, That's a ton of interviews, but radio listeners, you'll have to subscribe to the podcast to hear them all. So make sure you do that. I've also got the answer to last week's question of the week. And you guys had a lot to say. Like, this is going to be probably like three minutes of me reading everything you guys said. But I want to do that because you showed out. (laughs) And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hi, everyone. This is Shaz Bennett, writer, director, producer of Alaska is a Drag. And you are listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. And if you're having problems navigating the entrepreneurial digital world, my next guest has you covered. She has e-courses, YouTube videos, and a podcast on how to build a scalable business in today's changing world of digital work. Host of the Freelance Friday podcast, Latasha James, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you so much, Kevin. Excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to have you. Um, you know, I need some help with my digital work in this crazy <laughs> digital age. <laughs> but Latasha, the first yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, the first question that I usually start out with is when did you first fall in love with film? But for you, when did you first fall in love with the entrepreneurial digital world? Yeah. Yeah, so it's funny because I actually went to school for film, um, but I ended up becoming a podcaster and doing a little bit of everything else. Traitor! Um, but yeah, <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I went to school for film, so I feel like in school, they're always kind of teaching you to be somewhat entrepreneurial. Um, so I always kept that option open, and I started freelancing when I was in college, so probably seven or eight years ago just kind of casually freelancing on the side in addition to my retail job, um, started as a freelance writer and kind of along the way just got sucked into the world, uh, you know, the internet world that was kind of taking life um, in forms of podcasts and YouTube videos and all of that. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, what I want to do is kind of, because that's interesting, the fact that you actually went to school for film. Um, so, but... <sighs> The funny thing about film and going to school for film is that once you get out, it's not like you're, you know, a doctor, a dentist or a lawyer. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just like, go get a job and do your trade. A lot of times we do find ourselves kind of morphing and changing. But I do think that one of the things that you offer people is like how to be a storyteller 
with um, the digital assets that you have, whether it's on social media or whether it's, you know, um, your, your resume and things like that. So could mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about maybe um, kind of give us a history lesson of how you really kind of got into this and like why you're passionate about it? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, I, I started freelancing about eight years ago, and it was just kind of something I did to really supplement my college income at the time. Um, I didn't really see it being like a long term thing. But I really loved it. Like I really loved the freedom that I had. And I started to realize that it was a, a real source of income. Like it wasn't just, you know, 20 bucks here or there. I was actually starting to make a decent income from it. And it was really cool because I am like your traditional creative. Like I don't like to wake up early and <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, I'm very, I'm very creative and kind of like to walk my own path. Um, I think as a lot of us do. And, and so it was really cool. Like I never thought that kind of freedom would even be possible after college and in my career. Um, so, so yeah, I, you know, I continued, I, I've worked in corporate done freelance full-time, kind of back and forth, and now back to freelance full-time. And it's just a work style that really works for me. And not only that, but it also, it's the future of work. Like, it's it's where uh, work is going. And so I started to see that and started to take note of that trend and, and really just wanted to help people. Um, somewhere along the way, kind of in between, maybe about five years ago, I started a YouTube channel just for fun, like no, no business reasons involved. And when I explained to people what I did for my, for a living, people were so curious about it. And I just really wanted to help people. I really wanted to answer people's questions. And it's not something that, you know, it, it's something that really anyone can do if they put their mind to it and if they, they have the skills for it. So I, I just started to really add an educational element to my content um, by creating videos about how to. And then I started this series every Friday, I would do freelance Friday. So I would specific, specifically talk about my journey into freelancing on my YouTube channel. And it wasn't the most viewed video series of mine, but it was definitely the most engaged. People like had so many questions for me. Um, all of my social media accounts were on fire after that. And I was <laughs> like, okay, this is, this is like really resonating with people. Um, and the thing about that is, you know, it, it, freelancing is something that can't always be covered in like a 10 minute YouTube video, mm. like asking me, how do you get your first client? I mean, that's like, I could talk to you about that for three hours. If I'm being <laughs> honest. Right. So I knew, yeah. So I knew like the podcasting format was something I wanted to try just because I could have longer episodes. And then not only that, but I could also interview experts and people who knew more than I did. So yeah, I started the podcast uh, about a year ago and, and that's where we are now. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with one of the officially selected podcasts in this year's DC WebFest, host of the Freelance Friday podcast, Latasha James. Latasha, I think that's really cool that you have been able to kind of corner this market and, you know, create your own um, entrepreneurial journey. Um, And if you could, I definitely would love to know, how did you come up with uh the name a journey east for your website like what is it what exactly does that mean oh my gosh this is so funny um (laughs) i wish i could change it um (laughs) 
<laughs> so this is like marketing 101 always secure your first and last name for your website um, right. yeah I mean a journey <laughs> a journey east was kind of just my like screen name from back in the day I've been you know blogging and involved in some kind of internet things since I was a teenager and um I actually started it. So fun fact, I live in Detroit now. I'm originally from a town called Kalamazoo, Michigan, but I moved to D.C. right after high school for a little bit. And so I started this blog and I was like, this is my journey to the East Coast. (laughs) So that's where the blog name came from. And then I kind of like revived it when I moved to Detroit because Detroit is on the east side of the state. So kind of makes sense but it really doesn't really mean a lot <laughs> <laughs> i gotcha no that's that's quite all right um you know mine is i am kevin sampson.com so you know you're right you yeah. always got to secure that and somebody told me that like way back in the day i should have listened to him yep. then but you know so uh, one thing yep. i would love for you to do your website and just you in general, you offer so much. You, you have courses, you have videos, you have your podcast. So could you kind of walk us through some of the things that people can expect to see if they go to ajourneyeast.com? Yeah, yeah. So, so like we mentioned, I have the podcast. I release a new episode every Friday, uh, just all about entrepreneurship and freelancing and getting your start in that world. YouTube videos are kind of supplementary to the podcast. So I do a lot of business content. I do a lot of like a day in my business or a weekend in my business. So you can kind of follow me along in a vlog style format and see what I do all day. Um, And I release uh, new videos every week too, one to two videos a week. And then, yeah, I do have several courses. My signature course is called A Journey Social, and it's all about becoming a freelance social media manager. So I've actually had thousands of students now, which is pretty cool. And yeah, they've they've done some amazing things, gotten their first clients and just really built their businesses and learned how to market themselves online. So um, yeah, those are the key things that I do. I also do some one-on-one coaching in there. But yeah, everything you can find at ajourneys.com or latashajames.com too. It'll redirect you there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So could you tell me, like, what is a freelance social media manager? Like, what does that all entail? Because you know, for mm-hmm. some people that might be listening, um, even just like managing your own social media can be uh, difficult at times. Um, but what does mm-hmm. it mean to be like a freelance social media manager? Yeah, yeah. So what I do is I work with a number of different businesses or people. I actually really am pretty passionate about working with personal brands. So like um, fitness trainers and bloggers and um, radio personalities, just, you know, all kinds of different personal brands. And I go in and I plan out their content for them. I'll actually manage their content calendar for them so they can focus on what they're really good at and what they need to be spending their time doing, not trying to figure out the Instagram algorithm or trying to come up with the most clever tweet. Like, um, so yeah, I just take that over for them. And I work really, really hands, hands on with my clients too, so that they always have creative control and um, have their input. You know, I'm not just going to be the voice of your brand. But yeah, we work, we work together to make sure that we're, we're spreading your message and, and getting your name out there. That is pretty doggone cool. I might have to talk to you after. (laughs) 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 All right, folks, it's Picture Lock. I am Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with the host of the Freelance Friday podcast, Latasha James. Latasha, just kind of wrapping out here, if you could, um, one more time, just like let people know where they can find you, find your work and uh, get in contact with you if they want to. 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks again for having me on. Um, LatashaJames.com is where you can find everything from the podcast to the YouTube videos to um, coaching and courses and everything in between. Host of the Freelance Friday podcast, Latasha James, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dean Rogers with TheRogersReview.com, and you're listening to Picture Lock. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and Joey Fama is a screenwriter based in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. His work is known for its keen sense of humor that spans across many genres, such as science fiction, horror, family-friendly, and dramedy. Joey has received numerous screenwriting awards, most recently being recognized by the Northern Virginia Film Festival as the runner-up in Best Science Fiction, Screenplay Under 20 Pages, and Best Short Film Script from the Pittsburgh and Independent Film Festival. He loves screenwriting. <laughs> he is the screenwriter of Townhouse <laughs> of Doom, an official selection in the screenwriting category of DC WebFest, which is taking place April 12th and 13th. Joey, welcome to Picture Lock. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's definitely my pleasure. Joey, as you know, first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, you know, it, it, it took me some time. It probably took me longer than it should have. Um, so, originally, I was kind of a short story writer, and I, I liked that, and I did a lot of that. And um, You know, I wasn't having much success with that. And so, I, I was at the time, I was a sports writer at a... University uh, in Southern West Virginia, Concord University, which is my beloved alma mater. Um, and so someone had kind of mentioned to me, they're like, well, you, you write really good dialogue. Your, your humor is really dialogue driven. They're like, why don't you uh, try to write some screenplays? And so uh, I went to the library and I read every single book they had on screenwriting and, uh, you know, I, I fell in love with it. It's just, uh, you know, it's a style that I love and I don't know. I, I really enjoy screenwriting now. So that's kind of how I originally fell in love with, you know, screenwriting in general. Nice, nice. Now uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back to to the original question, and and I, because I love the fact that you are a screenwriter. But when did you first fall in love with film? Because I feel like you watched a certain movie, and you were like, "Wow, that was a really great story." And then, of course, you got into, uh, you know, the screenwriting aspect of it. But was there a, an initial movie that just attracted you to uh, the art? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just so many films that, that you know, that I just, uh, you know, I, 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 it's kind of a weird tradition that, that I do that I watch certain, like, movies, like, to celebrate after I win, like, a film award. I'm really happy. Um, so. Tell me more. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty bizarre. I think screenwriters in general, we're, we're kind of a, a strange bunch, but uh, <laughs> I have a couple on the list. Um, one of them is, is the first Muppet movie. I just love it. You know, when, when he comes in and does Rainbow Connection, it just, I don't know. And, and that had a huge influence on the screenplay. So um, another great film is, is Amadeus, which is very different than the Muppet movie. But, I, you know, I love that one, too, because it kind of deals with failure and you know, mediocrity and so yeah, those are those are two very different films, but I feel like both of them really had a huge impact on me, like uh, in my writing style, and uh, you know, just, just just like you said, falling in love. With, I I love that question. You know, what what made you fall in love with film? But yeah. Yeah, most definitely. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. 
I'm talking with the screenwriter of Townhouse of Doom, Joey Fama. Joey, the reason that I, I, I wanted to go back into that, and I love the fact that you said Muppet Babies and Amadeus, I feel like that really kind of helps me and, and the listeners to understand <laughs> you more as, as a screenwriter, seriously. Um, and yeah. so, so that's really so cool. Weird, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's, it's the first Muppet movie, not not uh, not Muppet Baby. Oh yeah, yeah my, <laughs> my bad. It's my kids trickling into my mind, like they they're they're in this Muppet Baby stage where like it's actually cool. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. I yeah, I try to be all over the place, you know. I hear you. I hear you. So Joey, if you could, um, for the audience, Townhouse of Doom. What is this all about? <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a uh, it's. It's kind of it's unique, I think, and a little bit strange. Um, it's a family-friendly um, horror comedy, <laughs> and um, it's framed up as like a cooking show, right? So it starts off with a guy who has no idea how to cook, and of course, he's a cooking show because that's how it goes. And so he decides, yeah, <laughs> he decides to go with his um, on-the-scene reporter, who happens to be a puppet, um, and the puppet's supposed to be at a it's supposed to be a wine and cheese festival, because that's where you send puppets. Um, and so he decides, like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Instead of going to the wine and cheese festival, I found this note, and I'm going to go to his haunted house. And then, you know, hilarity ensues. So. <laughs> Got it. So uh, so uh, this is really interesting, because we talked about the Muppets. You see, mm-hmm. you see how you see how this question it comes back and it ties in, and so you know, <laughs> Townhouse of Doom, it's got you know puppets in it. So, um, yeah. So I guess, man, I really do want to know, kind of like, what made you want to go with um, having a puppet character rather than you know just like two uh, human beings? Um, because I do think that there's a certain amount of uh, story that you can bring to a film when you're dealing with a puppet instead of a human being. And I'm wondering, as a screenwriter, if there's any kind of correlation uh, of the things that you wanted to do and say with a puppet versus, like, an actual human. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure, you're, you're, you're definitely correct. Um, so uh, it was characters that, that, that my buddy and I, uh, Joseph Bailey, came up with like uh, many years ago. We're both big like of that kind of comedy and that kind of genre. So we came up with the characters uh, many years ago, and so um, I was I was like you know I was watching a lot of horror movies with my brother because that's kind of our thing, uh, and and I was like oh you know I, I'd, I'd like to write a horror movie, but I'm like well no I'm more of a comedy writer you know I I, I don't want anything too serious, and so I started hammering it out, and I was like, oh, maybe something Blair Witch-ish. And I was like, no, that's been done too much. I was like, you know, but I haven't seen puppets do this, you know. That's, that's kind of strange. That's something different. So, <laughs> I think mean, it just kind of went from there, and, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I just, I, I just want to do things that are unique and kind of different. Um, and I feel like, you know, I certainly haven't seen a lot of things like that. But, yeah. <laughs> right. It's Picture Lock. I'm <laughs> Kevin Sampson, and I'm talking with the screenwriter who has a fascination with puppets. <laughs> I don't blame him. Uh, he is the screenwriter of Townhouse of Doom. It's Joey Fama. So, Joey, if you could, uh, right now I know that the, the screenplay is, you know, a screenplay, and you guys are planning on, you know, shooting it. Can you give us kind of maybe a timeline as of when we can expect to see Townhouse of Doom? 
Well, we're, we're still kind of in the pre-production phases. Uh, I've talked to a couple of directors and a couple of producers, and we're just trying to uh, kind of get from there. Because it, it's kind of a unique and just kind of weird thing. Because um, you, you really have to put a lot of different considerations on, you know, making puppets going into a haunted house as compared to, uh, you know, a couple you know, people, because uh, you got to build your puppets. And we, we've kind of preliminarily built some of those, um, which, is, which is a whole adventure in itself, you know, if you're, if you're not trying to do that sort of thing. So, um, But we, we, we'd like to see it as kind of a web series, you know, every week kind of them going and doing different, you know, ridiculous things and, you know, seeing what kind of trouble they can get into. Yeah, most definitely. You know, um, when I was in grad school, uh, I had a group of us that were in there. We, we created this series called Metro Monsters. And obviously being in the D.C. area, you know, the Metro, um, the, the Metro Monsters were puppets. They would go around, um, take the Metro to different parts of D.C. and, you know, get into some craziness. Uh, so I definitely understand what you're talking about in terms of bringing those puppets to life how, uh, you know, difficult but fun it can be. So uh, just to wrap things out that here. sounds awesome, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can still find it on YouTube. <laughs> Maybe I'll put that I'll in the show notes. immediately after this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, Joey, just to wrap things out here, um, just in regard to as you being a screenwriter and, you know, uh, you being officially selected in DC WebFest, what does it mean for you to have uh, different opportunities where festivals highlight the work of screenwriters? Well, I, I'm really excited about uh, DC Web Fest. It just, it just seems like they're doing a lot of like unique things and kind of different things. Uh, you know, I was, I was trying to decide if I was going to apply. I saw that they have like a, a game category and that the screenwriting category is also with like a blog as well. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of different. That's kind of a little bit, you know, unique. So I got excited about that, and I just kept reading about it and learning, you know, more about the film festival. And you know, any, anytime we we can do anything in in uh, DC is always, you know, it it always just means a lot um, uh, to me. And actually, the guy the uh, the guy who helped me with the characters, uh, Joey Bailey. You know, we're 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 both we both love DC. Um, so I, I'm I'm really excited about. It. I'm really enthusiastic about the festival in general. I can't, can't just wait to see what they have. Awesome. All right, Joey, so if you could just let folks know, how can they find you on social media and, you know, your website, all that good stuff? Yeah, uh, they should check out, uh, it's uh, joeyfamerwriting.com. Uh, that's, that's my website. They can keep up to date on uh, what I'm doing next and, uh, you know, everything about the project. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm on social media, so look, look me up and you know, under Joey Famer, so... Nice. Uh, on Instagram, I'll yeah. <laughs> Joey Fama, the writer of Townhouse of Doom. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Oh, th- I really appreciate you having me. It was great. Thanks. Picture Lock question of the week last week. What did you think of the new Joker trailer? All right, guys, sit back. <laughs> on Facebook, Terrence Harris said, I like it. Rob Woodfork said, Gotta see how true to the comics they are, but the trailer ain't bad. Justin Esquivel said, brilliant, just brilliant. Boise Powell III said, DC can really make a comeback with this one. This may be the first time an entire movie has been devoted to a villain of this caliber. Jordan Manigo said, between Aquaman, Shazam, and this, laughing out loud, I swear if DC manages to siphon some energy away from Marvel, I'm going to laugh my butt off. Like. I see this and it reminds me of how flat and devoid of individual personality all Marvel movie cinematography is. Woo! 
that was harsh, but very true, Jordan. I, I agreed with him on that one. In fact, I think that, you know, they shoot for rom-coms when it comes to Marvel movies. That being said, they are killing the game. Vincent Ratliff said, looks good to me. I can see people making comparisons to Ledger, but I think this will be an entirely different take on the character. Kirby Valladeres said, the visuals really stand out to me. The colors and setting is what gets me. It looks like vintage New York in the 70s, and that just adds to the mood of the character. Visually, I love it, and Joaquin seems to be a great choice for this character. Rusty Roberts said, Joaquin has been the most underrated actor of our time, in my opinion. This reminds me a bit of his role of Freddie Quell in The Master. I cannot wait for this at all. Jason Fraley said, I'm getting serious taxi driver slash king of comedy vibes from this, which is a very good thing. Mike Brown said, my goodness, this is the kind of movie that killed Heath Ledger. <laughs> shout out to my Shout out to Mike Brown, uh, always coming with the comedy. Now, Heath Ledger dying obviously is not funny, but you know, I get what he was saying. Dante Pelzer said, very interesting trailer, definitely not shot like the Marvel movies. The Joker trailer actually doesn't give me a comic movie vibe at all. It comes across as a period piece psychological thriller. Mike Sampson said, this looks really good, bro. What's up, Mike? Brian Connor said, this looks like DC is about to make another film that smashing the MCU is superior narrative to me. They'll be like four for four if this is good. Lorraine Middleton said, this looks amazingly insane. Something inside me felt like it was breaking watching this. This role takes so much and I think what creeps me out more than the Joker himself is the very dark place the actor has had to journey to get there. Creepy. I definitely understand that and I responded back to Larray just saying that hey if anybody is gonna do dark that's definitely Joaquin Phoenix his whole career has been uh, these dark characters so uh, I totally understand what she's saying and I feel like he is probably the the right man for the job Erica Ford said yes this pathos mania wounded souls conflicted purposes DC comics Phoenix will do the character and Heath Ledger proud Catherine Stamas said, too creepy for me, too much darkness in the world to add entertainment like this to all of the chaos and sadness. Now, guys, that was just on Facebook, over on Instagram. You guys at marvel.versus.dc underscore nerds said really awesome. At nerdy underscore Neil said, hope this movie follows through on what the trailer delivers. This looks dark, but focused. I like it. At It's the Paperboy said, hey, it was okay. I like how the trailer didn't give away the entire movie. At I Am Chad Eric Smith said, looks dope. It's like the assassination of Richard Nixon, but in the DC Comics universe. At Ronnie Rose said, glad to get an in-depth origin story of the Joker. At Zach underscore Z said, breathtaking one. At God's G1 FTTTT said, Ish looks weird as F, but I'm ready. Lego October. And of course, I was editing what he said, but uh, at Rev Gracie said, Looks promising. I don't know how I feel about the Joker channeling John Wayne Gacy, but we'll see. Wow. 
that's it. Thanks to everyone who participated in this question of the week. I, it's most likely, I think, hands down, the most popular question that we've had since we've been running this segment. You guys got to call in next time so I don't have to do all the reading. <laughs> but thanks again, guys. This week's question of the week, you know, with Avengers Endgame on the horizon, has there ever been a bigger movie release in cinematic history? I want to know, how are you feeling about this highly anticipated film? Leave me a message, 60 seconds or less, on the film, how you're feeling about it, and I'll play it during next week's show. Call 202-350-1351. I can't wait to hear your comments because I'm sure you guys have tons. Obviously, with the Joker trailer, you had a whole bunch to say. You can always let me know on social media or email me at picturelockshow at gmail.com, and I'll read your answer next episode. Hey, guys, just want to break this up real quick for a few promos. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do, and as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realized that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know in a behind-the-scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRForTheIndieFilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. For you, the listeners of Picture Lock's podcast, Gamefly is offering a premium free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I used to play PlayStation a ton pre-kids. I had money to buy the latest game out, but I really don't have the time or money like I used to to give towards my hobby. That's why Gamefly makes so much sense. For a low monthly fee, I can get the latest console and handheld game delivered to my door. I keep it as long as I want and can send it right back to get a new one. The cool thing is, if you like a game so much that you don't want to send it back, you can keep it for a low use price. There are never any due dates or late fees. To get your free trial today, go to GameflyOffer.com slash PictureLock. Again, that's GameflyOffer.com slash PictureLock for your free 30-day trial. Hi, I'm Anthony Anderson, the writer, producer, and director of Anacostia the Web Series, and you're listening to PictureLock. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and Crystal the Web Series is an award-winning comedic digital series based on Crystal, 
a newly single workaholic graphic designer with a colorful mind. I have writer, director, producer, and star of Crystal the web series, Crystal Correa on the line. Crystal, welcome to Picture Lock. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's definitely my pleasure. Um, I love it when I get to roll my R's. Uh, but Crystal, the first question that I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Oh, man. I fell in love with film since I was a kid. Mostly, I, I love television more than movies. But, like, I honestly got really into it because I was a military kid. And so I spent a lot of time being the new kid. And so I turned to movies and television to keep me company. And then it just kind of took off from there. And, and then I wanted to know more about the field and how I could get into it. Yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of cool because I definitely can relate to the fact that, uh, you know, watching television as a kid and, and watching other people's stories kind of, quote unquote taught me about life and then at the same time like you can kind of find yourself within it um but crystal if you could like take us from the young girl watching tv to you know this multi-faceted writer director producer star <laughs> oh man <laughs> how'd you oh, get in the industry <laughs> well it all started when <laughs> well i was i was actually born I was born in Korea, which is really funny because my last name is so similar to Korea, but Korea. Um, and so, oh my goodness, I've see young Crystal, man, you're taking it way back. <laughs> um, let's just say you don't have to give the whole the, like the life no, story no, about it. No, that's a whole life, but yeah. I definitely want to start with this particular moment because it's not too triggering, but I think people can relate, and it's kind of funny because. Everything that I was when I was younger is trending now, which I was just talking to somebody about. Like, that makes no sense to me. So I grew up uh, when I was younger, like around, let's say, nine years old. Um, I, my dad was stationed in Georgia, and I really didn't fit in mm. because I'm this pale Puerto Rican with curly hair, freckles. I just <laughs> – it was just not – so I just turned to movies and stories and reading and and – Acting, I was always in theater. I was always uh, part of plays, and I loved it before I got, like, all picked on and all that good stuff because, you know, good old bullies like to try to ruin you. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. And it was so great to do to find theater and to find drama because I could play something that wasn't me, and I could just kind of pull myself away from the loneliness of it all and just, like, feel really connected. So... And as I got older, I just wanted to know more of, like, the ins and outs of film and how, how does something start. So I really, <laughs> I really went all in, and um, I have so much respect for every department, and I love doing it. I love it. Now it's, it's like my life, so. <laughs> yeah, obviously. And, you know, we were, we were laughing uh, before we really kind of got started about how the, you know, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I don't, I'm not saying this to slight it, but I love the fact that, like, this is basically a web series about yourself that you wrote, direct, produce, you star in. <laughs> um, <laughs> for a reason. For a reason. Yes. It's, it's like, it's, it does come, it's, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I was going to say, I want to get into it. Like, tell us about Crystal the web series, what it means to you in your own words, and, you know, why you wanted to bring this to uh, fruition. I think that it's so important for everyone to share their perspective of their 
life and their worldviews if they can and if they have access to it. Um, also, I didn't want to get in trouble, honestly. That came down to it because when I started writing Crystal, I came to L.A. in a very weird time. This is before, like, the Me Too movement and before, you know, like, like I saw the underground, the women working, kicking butt and, and plotting to, like, not plotting against, you know, to, like, take over or anything, but just to, to – to have a voice, to have a chance to express himself. So it was very interesting to kind of see like the behind the scenes before it, you know, it happened. And I wanted to, I wrote down, I had tons of ideas before Crystal, but everything that I came up with either, and at the time I was like 26, I didn't want to write something that I didn't know anything about. And so as I got older, I was like, you know what, let me just write something that I know, my views and how people perceive me and like how I see the world. So it's it's not like I was acting safe because I feel like it's a lot of drama, <laughs> but I felt like it was a good start and I had access to like my apartment and myself. <laughs> I can act in it and uh, I don't have to pay myself because um, I like to take care of my team. So that's that, so that was a whole thing that went into why I decided to choose Crystal. And then the web series part, I just think it's so funny when it's like, you know, pizza, the pie. I don't know. I just think it's really funny just adding anything the. So I added the web series behind Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think it's really funny. It's like, no duh. <laughs> that, that, that reminds me of that scene in Social Network when uh, he's like, uh, just, you know, just, at first it was the Facebook and he was like, drop the the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's kind of where, and I love that. I just love that dry humor too. So right, right, the like basic old school. I just want to bring it back and do something very like straightforward and handheld camera, and it was really great. And it's um, and I parked. I I um, I'm sorry. I like lost my train of thought. I filmed in Echo Park. That's what I'm saying. And it was just cool. It was just cool to have that vibe there because Echo Park has been like the nicest part of LA for me. So <laughs> I wanted to bring I wanted to bring all the things I liked and then talk about topics that I felt were really relatable. And that's the thing. It's like, yes, it's Crystal Web series, but when you watch it, you can relate to the issues. So it doesn't matter. It could be whoever in the web series. Anyone can relate to it really when you watch it. So Yeah. So <laughs> really quickly, um, you know, the the web series the run times are, are really short like real quick hits yeah so could you talk a little bit about you know the writing process for 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 doing these like quick hits and why you wanted to you know kind of condense uh, the story rather than you know making it like a little bit longer you know but the reason I'm asking that is because I feel like you know sometimes with um, web series you know there can be a little bit of fluff and then we get to a cliffhanger, but uh, by shortening, shortening it up, it definitely puts a lot of pressure on you to kind of get it right in the, in the, no, 100%, in yeah. the bit, but talk about that. Um, well, it mostly comes down to budget. <laughs> um, <laughs> and honestly, the, I, oh my gosh, this is going to sound like, oh, she likes the challenge, but I liked having the pressure and being like, this is what I have to work with. And because I was just solely producing it and I wanted to have creative control because it was very important for me to express myself, um, you know, the first first big project I've ever done, uh, it 
it was better to, I like to get to the point. I was always that student in class that was like, okay, but what's the point? Why are we learning this? What are we doing? What is, what is going on? And so I wanted to be that filmmaker. And yes, it is very short, but it gets to the point. And also I'm captivating the audience really fast and they're getting it. And then we can have a discussion later on about it. So and I'm hoping to like be able to do like more short stuff, not for Crystal, but for other things because I think it's really great to like see if the audience likes it too. And that was another thing too. Like you don't want to invest so much of your time with a character. If people can relate to it and grab to it, you got to be like realistic and day and age with the digital content and everybody's working so fast. Yeah, most definitely. Once again, folks, it's picture lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with writer, director, producer, star of crystal, the web series, crystal Korea, crystal. Uh, as we close out here, how can people find the web series, follow you on social media, etc.? So it's really easy. My production company is C plus media productions. Dot com. You can just go to that website My and all the handles. I'm on Twitter and I'm on mostly on Instagram. Instagram's better to find me. I also have my personal Instagram, which is Hi I Am Crystal, which also has the links to it. And it is on Amazon Prime Video to watch for free. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Crystal, thanks so much for coming on Pitchock. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everybody. It's Adele Drover here from Roll Credits, and you are listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I am Kevin Sampson, and Darwin Dave lost his father in April of 1978 at the age of 10. He started the Dealing With My Grief blog and podcast to discuss how he's been coping with grief and bereavement since that time. Host of Dealing With My Grief podcast, Darwin, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, Darwin, usually the first question I start out with is when did you first fall in love with film? But for you as a podcaster, when did you first fall in love with podcasts? I started listening and really fell in love with podcasts uh, somewhere around October, November of of, uh, 2015. I I think I've been listening to podcasts since... Oh, man, like mid-2000s, right? But it started to become kind of a craze. So was there like a certain particular podcast that you listened to that you just enjoyed? Or like what did it for you? Yeah, um, it was a combination of um, a Facebook post that a dear friend of mine had when she was sort of being open about the loss of her father. And there was a podcast I'd been listening to at the time called The School of Podcasting by Dave Jackson, who talks all about how to put a podcast together and encourages people to actually create podcasts to tell their own story. So it was a combination that really got me started. Gotcha. That's, that's kind of inter- interesting, a podcast about starting a podcast. That's really cool, man. So uh, if you could, uh, you know, grief is something that hits us all. And whether, you know, um, we're dealing with it consistently or, um, you know, sporadically. It's definitely something that's universal. So if you could, um, could you talk a little bit about uh, how you've had to deal with grief since that time when you were 10 up until now, and then we'll jump into the podcast? Sure. Well, I, when I lost my father, I just saw a bunch of adults around me sort of continuing life as normal as I but that's what I saw when I was 10. And there were a bunch of feelings that I had just 
carried around with me literally all of my life that I didn't really know how to deal with. Mm. And through podcasting, and again, through stories that I've been hearing from other people on Facebook, I just decided podcasting would be the best thing for me to do because I'm not the greatest writer in the world, so it's just easier for me to push record and talk into a microphone. So that was really the inspiration behind why I started and um, just how I've been dealing. It was just a release for me as a means of getting rid of all the stuff that I've been, I've had bottled up and carried with me for the last 40 plus years now. Wow. Man, so as I was saying in the in the top, you know, grief is definitely a universal thing. And whether we are dealing with it now, it's definitely something that will come because, you know, that's just life, unfortunately, how it goes. Uh, we're going to deal with the loss of a loved one. And I think that uh, mental health and taking care of yourself uh, in that way is something that I think as a whole, at least in America and a society, I think we're starting to learn that this is something that we really need to pay attention to. But definitely, I feel like in um, many communities, it's still one of those things where we kind of close our mouths and we, we kind of, as you said, you know, we just pack it all in and we, we just kind of keep moving in life. Um, can you talk a little bit about why it's important to uh, deal with your grief? I think it's important because, as you just mentioned, it's sort of like a taboo subject. You know, a bunch of things we're not supposed to talk about, money, religion, politics, and I sort of add grief as the fourth item to that. Because in most cases, when you say that you are sad or you're missing someone, people think that there's a specific timetable that that's supposed to happen. If you look at even most corporate organizations, they may only give you three to five days to sort of grieve your loved one. And when you come back to work, it's supposed to be things as usual. Mm. So I think it's important for people to know that there is no timetable, that everybody goes through grief differently, and that you need to have some type of community, family, friends, support groups, churches, or whatever, where you can feel free to talk about what you're going through without judgment. And I think that's the biggest thing, is, is, the, is the stigma around the judgment that you still want to continue to talk about this two weeks, three weeks, even a year after it's happened. You know, it's definitely a noble effort um, in what you're doing, and I think that's so true that so many times it's like... <laughs> Oh, I'm supposed to be, you might, you might think personally, oh, I'm supposed to be over this, or I should be uh, maybe a little further along as time kind of moves on. And then also, I think sometimes as a society, we don't necessarily know how to deal with um, someone else, like a friend. And, you know, like sometimes when, for me, if, if a friend has a loved one that passes, you know, I don't know when to call, and it's kind of you want to give that person some space, and, and it's always kind of that odd, you know, um, time where you definitely want to be there for someone. Um, and so in some ways, maybe sending that text is always helpful because at least it's not as direct personally. But, you know, uh, it, it can be, a, a, like you said, a stigma around it, and it can be hard to gauge like what to do in those situations. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking with the host of Dealing With My Grief podcast, Darwin Dave. And Darwin, I wanted to kind of follow up on what I was just saying just in regards to um, how has your podcast helped people to deal with their grief in regard to as a community? How is it educating people um, on dealing with grief? But uh, there's two sides to that. For people who have lost someone, they realize that they're not alone in feeling 
maybe either awkward or uncomfortable in the fact that they're still dealing with what they're dealing with. And it also has spawned people to help each other. Again, I think there is, in the grief community, there is a certain appreciation for being able to join people who are going through similar experiences, even though they're not the same. Again, to be able to talk to each other, not judgmentally, because for the most part, we don't really know each other. We just know that they've lost someone that they love and that they are trying to, to manage that as best as possible. And speaking with someone else who's sort of in the same boat, they know that they can speak openly and freely without any judgment or any expectations from the people that they're talking to. And again, usually you don't really know what it's like to be in this club unless you're a member of this club. So it just brings a closeness that typically some people can't find elsewhere, especially if there are situations where um, the grief that they are suffering has sort of torn their family or their friendships apart. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like, so for me growing up, you know, I didn't deal with death um, very that often. Um, but then I, I lost my grandfather and grandmother. Um, you know, it was kind of back to back different years, like within the past, you know, three years. And um, for me, just kind of seeing my dad deal with lo losing his parents and then also being um, a little older now, I was in my 30s when I lost them. Um, it really did help me to understand how to be a little bit more compassionate, where at least, you know, I'm going to send you a text message and, you know, see how, you know, you're working through things on your own time, but definitely reaching out um, to people to let them know that, like, in this period period of being emotionally distraught for for some people or or saddened, you know, it's it's definitely a spot where, as a community and just and as people in general, we have to be able to you know kind of carry each other's load for a little bit. Could you uh, just maybe give us a, a quick brief pointer as we kind of wrap out here as to um, what's one of the best ways, or what would you say, like when you when you hear that news that you know someone is dealing with a loss, like what's what's one of the best ways to get in contact with them and you know just kind of show your love? Just be present. Um, you don't have to worry about saying the right thing because a lot of times the right thing that you want to say may not may in fact be the wrong thing to say. Just be present and most importantly, uh, listen. Uh, if you want to call someone and ask how they're doing, you know, be in that 100%, let them talk and just listen. You don't necessarily have to have the right thing to say. In most cases, all people that are grieving really want is just somebody to listen to them, walk through and talk through what they're going through. I think that's perfect advice. I wish I could give that to myself um, on a few instances, uh, but just being present and listening. All right, Darwin, so if you could, if folks want to check out your podcast and your blog, how can they do it? How can they find you online, social media, etc.? Fine. You can find me on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Instagram as well as Google Podcasts. And online, you can find me on Instagram at Dealing With My Grief is the handle. On Twitter is at Deal With Grief. And uh, that's pretty much it. One of the official selections for the 2019 DC Web Fest, Dealing With My Grief podcast host, Darwin Dave, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. My name's Anthony Bielonson. I am the 
creator, director, and writer of the new Amazon Prime series, Free Advice with Adam Chernick. Season one is on Amazon Prime right now. And you are listening to Picture Lock with Kevin Sampson. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. And Gayish is a gay and LGBT plus podcast that bridges the gap between sexuality and actuality. Mike Johnson and Kyle Getz talk about gay stereotypes they fit into, ones they don't and everything in between. I have co-creator and co-host of the Gayish Podcast, Kyle on the line. Kyle, welcome to Picture Lock. Hey there, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, man. So usually I start out with, you know, when did you first fall in love with film? But for you, when did you first fall in love with podcasts? With podcasts, yeah. I first, um, very first time I ever listened to a podcast was when someone said that there was this podcast that explained what Pizzagate was because I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I knew Hillary Clinton had like a sex ring or something and I was so confused, but um, there, uh, Reply All is a podcast about the internet that did an entire episode explaining exactly what it was. And from then, I started listening to that show. I started listening to My Favorite Murder and then it just grew from there. Yeah, yeah, it just gets addicting, right? Like you start, you, it's like a, a connection here to this to that, and before you know it, like your iTunes playlist is full. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like once you start to understand and like kind of get to be feel like your friends with whoever the hosts of something are, then you just <laughs> want to hear every single thing they say, even if it's like repeated. You know, you've heard the episode four times already, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are definitely some like podcasts that I listen to that, you know, as soon as it, the new one comes in my queue, I'm like, okay, I'm playing this, you know? And, and even it becomes where you have their old favorites that eventually kind of like, okay, I'll listen to it every once in a while. But it's amazing what podcasting and how that world has just kind of grown and bloomed uh, over the past few years. Yeah, it's so interesting to see, like, uh, it's just so new that it just seems like, it's still the point where anything can happen uh, with it, and you can kind of do anything with it, which makes it really interesting and fun. Yeah, most definitely. So if you could, uh, for the audience, just in your own words, what is Gayish Podcast all about? And then if you could, like, just talk about how you and your co-creator kind of hooked up and started this. Yeah, so Gayish is about uh, gay stereotypes. Uh, the idea is um, me and my uh, co-host, Mike, we just don't feel like uh, any one particular way of viewing gay people like really fits with us. And so we wanted to talk about where we felt like we totally fit in with gay people, gay culture, gay expectations, and then places where we totally did not feel that at all. Um, so sometimes we'll talk about a straight thing that we don't understand or a gay thing we don't understand um, or like a, uh, well, at the end of our show, we always talk about the gayest and straightest things about us that we, <laughs> um, to show that there's actually not just one, you know, we're actually all a mix of all the different stereotypes that are out there. Mm. Um, and yeah, so we, we saw that there were, there are a ton of uh, podcasts about pop culture, about um, kind of news uh, and RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, and those are all great and awesome and really cool, but just not our interests or focus. So we want to start one that kind of met with uh, what we care most about. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because a lot of times, I think, uh, even as like a, a person of color, let's just say for me, it's a broad spectrum. There, There's so much to, you know, what does it mean to be African-American and where did you grow up? And all these different things kind of impact us. Um, but I, I think that's really cool that you guys are able to kind of talk about, hey, well, this is me or this isn't me. And, you know, let's talk about it. Let's have a good time. If you could kind of like walk us through a, a typical episode, because like looking at your uh, your episode descriptions, you know, it's you guys talk about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every week we try to pick a topic. And yeah, like we've talked about, um, I think, butt stuff was something people really wanted to hear about. So we talked about that. We've talked about like drag queens and sports and just kind of all over the board. But yeah, uh, like once we now that we've gotten into our flow, like a usual episode is um, we talk about kind of the most recent news uh, stories, and they're they're not the um, you know like whatever happened to I don't know Neil Patrick Harris that week uh, on vacation. <laughs> like it's not that kind of stuff. It's right. Um, it's like interesting stories they may not have heard heard about. Um, and then we go into our topic, and each for each topic usually we'll have. Um, a few different segments about that topic. So my co-host, Mike, and I each bring kind of a few different topics that we wanted to discuss within the category, like within whatever we're talking about. And usually mine involves some kind of like data. Um, sometimes stereotypes are there for a reason, and it's because they're mostly true. So we try to find out which ones are actually statistically true, uh, or we'll bring news stories or um, just kind of whatever stands out to us and, and share those with each other. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the co-creator and co-host of the Gage Podcast, Kyle Getz. Kyle, uh, one of the things that I th- kind of thought was funny uh, in your bio is that you said that you continue to come out all the time since most people confuse your height as a sign of straightness. Um, <laughs> And so uh, what I want to do is kind of link that to the purpose of your podcast as, as it is, 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 as we talked about just a while ago, it's like a broad spectrum. But can you talk a little yeah. bit about um, the reception of your podcast thus far and uh, the community that listens to it? Um, you know, is it, is it really making an impact? Yeah, I, I mean, I hope so. Um, yeah, and interesting enough, we didn't really have an, uh, too much expectations of what would happen when we started it and I think like a lot of times in podcasting it's just about like start it and see what happens Um, but we've been really surprised and happy that other people have uh, found it and resonate with the message of like you don't have to be the stereotype and that's fine you can be the stereotype and that's fine so um, I think in general that's the message that people have walked away with and that that makes us really, really happy. Um, yeah, and the, the the most touching thing I've seen is that we've talked about our uh, a lot about our mental health. And someone once wrote in that um, he's had depression uh, for as long as he can remember, and because of just hearing our message, he went to talk to someone to one of his friends about his depression. And mm. I remember he said that for the first time since he can remember, he had a good day, and that was the most meaningful like that line alone it was like okay this is absolutely worth doing this so um yeah i i think it's hopefully made an impact and it's actually made an impact for us for sure yeah yeah 
So can you do me a favor, uh, just because I'm I'm really interested in, um, as we talked about, you know, having podcasts, having uh, resources, and for members of the LGBT plus community, um, what does what does it mean to like have a podcast? So like I know when I was like in high school, podcasts weren't a thing, right? And yeah. But but you can like you you grew up in Katy Texas and you know you can grow up in a small town and you're able to listen um, to a podcast in which uh, you know you're hearing people that are you know in some ways either a living your life or um, you can definitely relate to and so I'm I'm just kind of wondering yeah. just in regard to like your podcast being a resource for like what you just said. Um, this gentleman that was, you know, depressed and listened to the podcast, like, what does that mean, um, you know, for, for the LGBT plus community? Yeah, I think it's the, yeah, this community is so interesting because it's one of the few that you can be a part of this community without having your family, immediate family, be a part of the community as well. So unlike other minorities, it's not that you have this automatic support with you. You have to find your own support. So while we definitely do not recommend using our podcast as any kind of <laughs> educational means whatsoever, right. um, we do find that there are people that say that very thing, you know, I don't have this community around me or I live in a small town um, where I don't have gay friends and I get to feel like I have gay friends for a little bit. And um, that that's really... Uh, I I think a cool thing that that I'm happy that you know podcasts in general can just bring that to people is you don't have to have someone uh, like right there with you to feel like you're still a part of the community because you are a part of the community regardless of who's physically around you and it's it's so great that people can get that feeling through other other places when they need it. Right, right, most definitely, man. So uh, you enjoy top forty pop music. Um, but wearing t-shirts and jeans, I gotta, why the t-shirts? Like, uh, are you a collector of graphic tees or what is it? No, I'm lazy. I, <laughs> like, I, 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 my goal, like right now I've, I've just been buying slowly and surely, like just different colored t-shirts because I don't care. Like, I just don't care and I want to be comfortable. And so I, I eventually want to get down to have like a uniform to where I just, always wear the same shirt but i think i have to be like i don't know cooler or more important or something before i can do that and get away with it but until then i'm just gonna wear random color t-shirts and and jeans because i i don't <laughs> care what i look like or about fashion or about trying to look any better nice nice yeah you definitely sound like <laughs> me but uh once i lose some of this weight I don't, I don't know i keep saying um then all of a sudden my fashion uh, prowess is going to come out, <laughs> but Cal, if there, you, go ahead. There are a couple things like that that I'm like, someday I'm going to be amazing cook, but until <laughs> then I'm going to order my food to come to me. So I, yeah, I get that. <laughs> Most definitely, man. Well, it's been great talking to you. If you could let folks know how they can uh, follow you on social media, find uh, the podcast online, etc. Yeah, so on most social media, we're at Gayish Podcast, so like on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and then, yeah, our podcast is called Gayish, so you can find it on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast. Awesome. Co-creator and co-host of Gayish Podcast, Kyle Getz, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. 
Thanks for having me. And that's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Latasha James, Joey Fama, Crystal Correa, Darwin Dave, and Kyle Getz for coming on the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcasts so you can hear the extended radio versions of the show, catch unlocked episodes, and the Picture Lock PR after show, which gives you buckets of free knowledge for your film's projects, PR, and marketing from filmmakers who are doing it. If you're a fan of Alexa's skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock podcast, and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. It's quick, easy, and free. And guys, I really do appreciate it. It really helps to expose the show to more people. So make sure you give it a five-star review if you've been listening for a long time and you just haven't done it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash show and subscribe. I've got new movie reviews for this weekend up now, so please check that out. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S. The Producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S. The Producer, numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR, finally, a partner as passionate as you.